previously on the Enneagram journey. I think I have found a way to um, bring the practice of reflection into the present because I've, I've come, I, I have engaged in a regular practice of reflection because I do think a great teacher for future decisions, it can be past decisions mm -hmm. um, and reflecting on what worked before, what didn't in a healthy way, what was life giving, what was life draining? Uh, where did I see God? Where did I see myself show up most fully at the table? Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, right. but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. Hi, Joel and Suzanne. Hi, my name is Art Wimberly. Hi, my name is Lauren. Hey, Suzanne, my name is Brad. Hi, Suzanne, my name is Chelsea. Hi, my name is Mark. Hi. My name is Sarah. Hi, my name is Nicole. Hi, my name is Rachel. Hi, my name is Joel, and you are now listening to the Enneagram Journey podcast with Suzanne Stabile. As you can already tell, today's episode is a Q&A episode where we answer the questions that you send in via voicemail at theenneagramjourney.org. This Q&A was streamed live at the table online, and one of the things that I learned was that I guess the Reverend had some ambitions of becoming a butcher when he left the Catholic Church. Thank goodness that that wasn't his future, because if it had been, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to call him on this show and get his counsel for one of your questions. Before we get to it though, quick reminder about the Enneagram Journey Toward Wholeness teaching and podcast tour. First up in January, Richmond, Virginia. Suzanne's been going there for years and it has always been so phenomenal. Great group, great crowd, and she always does a great, great job teaching. The podcast on Friday night is already sold out. However, you can sign up for Saturday and join to hear her teach on the journey toward wholeness. After that, in February, we're going to Birmingham, Alabama, where Jamie Golden of the Popcast is going to join us. Then in March, we're just outside of Houston, and there are a few spots left to join us at the Renewal Center for the Friday night podcast recording, and then plenty of space to join us at the Tomball UMC on Saturday to hear Suzanne teach. Visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com slash tour22 or SuzanneStabile.com, and you can find the link. And, of course, it's in the show notes. Hope we see you there. But in the meantime, I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. All right, so let me get our first question potted up. First one is from Kaylin, I believe. Hello, Suzanne. Uh, my name is Kaylin, and I'm an Enneagram 3, married to an 8 named BJ. Uh, my husband spent 12 years in ministry. He has a MDiv and a doctorate of ministry. However, at our last ch church, we experienced a really traumatic break in our relationships with the leadership, largely because we did not line up with them ideologically. It was exactly the kind of break we're seeing in churches all across America right now. For us, it ultimately ended in a betrayal that left BJ scrambling for a job. He is now doing the very hard work of trying to build a new career outside of the field he loves. It has now been almost three years since what we refer to as the apocalypse. 
But what I've noticed in that time is that I can't seem to muster a sense of loyalty to any sort of community. I'm a teacher, but I don't feel school spirit. I go to church, but I keep my distance. I don't trust religious institutions of any sort, really. So here's my question. I know that threes move to six in security, and I know that loyalty to one's community is central to sixness. So if a person can no longer access what is core to their security number, does that mean security is out of reach for them? Thank you for everything you do and everything you've taught me over the years through your podcast and your books. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. You want to call dad? Oh, do we, we're going to try it out on the first yep. First phone call. Like Absolutely. It. Coming out of the chute. Let's see if the reverend answers. We're ringing. I love this, by the way. I'm, hey there. Oh, my goodness. Reverend, you are uh, live on the table right now. With I'm live on the table. Yep. Okay. Well, I can be live on the table for a while. I'm expecting a phone call, in which case I can't be live on the table. <laughs> All right. Did you, I don't know what the delay is. Did you hear the question that just came in from Kaylin? Uh, no, I did not hear the question. I can I can tell you, uh, Kaylin is a three. Her husband is an eight. Uh, their history is in church ministry. They had to break with their church um, because they could no longer. They no longer agreed on the basics uh, or the foundational. I, I don't quite know how to talk about that, but you know what I'm talking about, right? So, sure. so essentially they are deconstructing, but at the same time, her husband, it's been three years and her husband is trying to find, um, a path professionally and it's been hard and we've been there. And her response as a three is that if, if she goes to six in security where there's loyalty and all of those good things and she can no longer be loyal to the institution, Um, she finds it hard to be loyal to any institution as a result of that, then what does she do? I know how to talk to the Enneagram piece, but I think you do a a thousand percent better than I do talking about deconstructing and then trying to reconstruct what happens to those of us who find that we differ with the tenets of the church that we we're part of for a long time. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm sorry. Uh, it's an awkward position to be in. Uh, when one has committed one's life to ministry, finds oneself um, in a situation where the particular denomination or group in ministry there have been serving no longer fits um, their belief, no longer fits um, the direction that they're headed together as a, as a couple. Uh, I've said for years and years, I think it is extremely important for people to find the church, find the denomination, find Uh, the location that feeds them spiritually. And um, 
I believe that the spiritual journey that we're all on is a journey into the unknown. And when we start, we are building our lives on the building blocks of the faith we were raised in uh, and what we were taught. But as we grow older, that has the opportunity to transform and to change. So um, I, I think the loyalty question then becomes loyalty to uh, an understanding of who God is for me. Uh, loyalty to an understanding of um, this is what I believe to be true about God and about God's activity in my life and in the direction that um, God is leading and guiding me in growth, in spiritual growth that is changing from where I was raised uh, into something new, unknown, exciting, challenging, uh, and and possibly growth-filled. Giuseppe, um, one of the things that I think was our experience when you left the priesthood was there just a long time of grieving. Yeah, yeah. You have to grieve what you lost. And, unfortunately, when people are deconstructing, it's difficult to not be angry or resentful. It's it's hard to hold on to what was good and let the let the rest fall away. And I think then sometimes we fall into, well, I guess it was just all bad or it was a waste of all those years or how did we mm-hmm. end up here or and, and it means you have to find a new community of people. Yeah, exactly. And that's really really hard. It is. And so for two and, aggressive numbers to have had this experience and be faced with something that they can't quickly affect or make different or make better, it must be really, really hard in, in ways that you and I don't know because we're not aggressive numbers. Well, I think it is very difficult, and it is very hard. And as you would know, as anybody who's ever been in our house would know, we uh, have kept so much of the old of my life. And uh, while keeping so much of the old of my life, we have moved forward in a new life, in a new denomination. Uh, so it, it, is, it is trying to uh, hold the very best of, um, our experiences as we move forward and see where some of the truth of their, their past, uh, is still true and still affirms the movement forward. Yeah. The two things or three that I would want to add to that are number one, um, we frequently quote Richard Rohr, who says the best protection from 
the next word of God is the last word of God. Exactly. And I would want Kaylin to hear that we went through a really hard time where you thought having been a Catholic priest, your one idea of what you might be able to do was to be a butcher. And you ended up in ministry in the United Methodist Church. And you were terrible. You couldn't even cut up a chicken. You, I, there's no way you could have ever been a butcher. But it's like there, when you've given yourself to something, there's a very limited view of possibility because you were all in for the other thing and never considered anything else. So I think that that's a thing. The next word of God will come. And ultimately, Kaylin, I, I can tell by listening to you that you'll be in a place to hear it. The second thing is I highly recommend Richard Rohr's book, Order, Disorder, Reorder, because that names the process, and it helps people get through the process. And we had to find our way because we didn't have that um, book when we were there. And the final thing I want to say um, is it, it's okay that it really hurts but be aware that the institution is what you can't trust, not yourself. And so that's one institution. There are lots of others. And you can trust yourselves as three and an eight in knowing where to risk offering your gifts and managing your vulnerability and part of new groups of people because not everybody is going to hurt you, and at the same time, you will be hurt again because that's just life. And, that, and I'm not minimizing that. I'm just saying it, order, disorder, reorder is what we would call the Paschal mystery, living, dying, rising. And it's the only pattern there is, and it repeats itself over and over and over. And as aggressive numbers, you have to... Figure out how you're going to manage the pain, which is probably where your struggle is, and trust yourselves and keep moving forward. I'm so grateful for your question. Fantastic. Thank you, Dad. You're, you're most welcome. The, um, the last piece I would just add to that is, is I think all of us as Christian people have to remember that Jesus came to show us a way of living. He didn't come to start a church. He didn't come to put his stamp of approval on any particular denomination. He, he came to show us a way to live. And that is by far the most important piece that we have moving forward is that we are followers of Jesus the Christ and that his life is being reflected in how we live our lives in mercy and grace and love with the people that we encounter. Um, that's key, I think. Thanks for having me uh, on your live uh, with uh, Enneagram Godmother. Um, always a joy. I think I'll leave your picture up and what's going on on my computer, but uh, get back to the business of the church that I'm handling this, this afternoon. Love you all. Love you. Love you. Ah, the Rev. Uh, man, good stuff. Well, good morning. I might have to start like a routine Monday live show. 
Another idea. Let's go ahead and write that on the idea board. Yeah, let's let's finish out a couple. Take two <laughs> off. Okay, next question. Good stuff. This one is from Addie. And um, my name is Addie. I'm a type four on the Enneagram. And I just had a question regarding friendships. Um, I'm in college. I'm a junior this year. And I just am really struggling in friendships. Um, they're the most important part of my life. They mean everything to me. And I pour out everything to give to my friends. And I do not feel that back. Um, I just don't feel seen and safe in them. Um, I feel like I just have a lot of very surface level friendships um, that I kind of do life with. And I have pretty solid friendships kind of outside of that. Um, it's just that I have friends in very different circles. And so that's hard because we don't run in the same group. So I don't get to really see and talk to them often. And so, yeah, I feel like I really tap into that two space of giving, 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 and nothing is ever given back. And I'm just really struggling and I just feel very, very lonely. Um, and I was just wondering if you just have any, anything to say about that, if that's normal for fours and what I can do because I just don't know what to do anymore because I try so hard. Hi, Eddie. I'm sorry. That's really hard. And it's really hard to be in college and in either four space or two space because both numbers struggle with college years, frankly. And it has everything to do with relationships. I spend a good bit of time listening to fours. And um, my youngest son's a four. He is 33, and he shared with me that he said to his husband last week, I don't have any friends. And then his husband listed all the friends that they have, and it, it was an eye-opener for him. So the first thing I want you to do is list the friends that you do have because what you focus on determines what you miss. So... I understand that you're focused on what's missing. That's a, a, a very four thing to do. And fours that are much older than you are and who have much more life experience than you do are doing the same thing. So that's fourness. Practice focusing on the friends that you do have and practice focusing on how you can meet people the people that are already in your life but who don't want to communicate on as deep a level as you do, how you can meet them where they are. And you can do that without losing a part of yourself. If you're losing a part of yourself, don't do it. But how you can meet them where they are and then kind of bring them along instead of expecting them to be able to meet you where you are. Fours are very deep feelers. They are emotionally deep and they have a wide range of emotions that changes in a moment, which makes it on the other side, being friends with fours, 
a challenge because it's hard to understand that. The other thing I would encourage you to do is pick out two or three people who you don't consider really close friends but who are um, geographically close, who are in your sphere so that you could spend time with them. Pick out two or three that you feel like you can trust and teach them about your foreness. You can use Enneagram language if you want to, but you don't have to. You can teach them about your foreness without doing that. Enneagram is pretty trendy right now, so don't miss this opportunity to kind of talk with people about being a four if they're into or interested in the Enneagram at all. And if you continue to be lonely, and if you continue to feel the way that you're feeling in this phone call, I would strongly encourage you to get a therapist just for talk therapy. And you need to know, I think everybody needs a therapist, and I think everybody needs a spiritual director. Uh, so I'm not singling you out in any way. But if, if you get into talk therapy, you will be able to work out some things regarding your expectations in friendship that are very difficult to manage uh, outside of that. And just so you know, I'm 71, and um, I'm going to see my therapist this week. And I'm done a lot of work. There are things that I just need a third person to talk to about. Not my kids, who I'm very close to, and not my husband, but that other person who doesn't have any dog in the hunt but me. So you take care of yourself. Don't let this get bigger than you. I bragged to my group this morning that I went to my first therapy session last week. Yeah. I mean, first in years. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Why don't you tell so. Addie how that went? It went good. I felt good about it. I, I joked with groups. I felt like I won. You know? <laughs> in in the real sense, not in a joke sense. In yeah. the, I went in. I was honest. He gave feedback. I shared more, answered his questions, and nailed it. And left. You know. So I, that's, I'm putting it in the W. Yep. So yeah. All right. This next one is from Anne from North Carolina. Hi, Joel and Suzanne. I identify as a one as my core desire to be a person of integrity fuels all my decisions and my inner critic is alive and well. However, I find myself often enacting the relationally driven behaviors of nines and twos. When I'm acting, quote, like a nine, expressing my own needs to someone feels terrifying. When I'm acting, quote, like a two, I feel like I'm one misstep away from losing a relationship. I do not experience this with my spouse, with whom I feel safe, but I do often with my close friends. Why do I identify so much with the motivations of a one, but the relational fears of my corresponding wings? Thanks for your help. That's a good question. Primarily because ones have more expectations than nines or twos. And it feels really risky to be in relationship with expectations when you're afraid that they're not going to be met. And as a one, you have, to the, you have to deal with the added layer of named or unnamed fear that your expectation in relationship isn't going to be met and that it won't be met in a way that measures up. 
if you are giving yourself to a relationship, then you're going to do all the right things in the relationship, and you're going to give yourself to it in what you deem to be the right way to be in, in communication and in relationship to another person. And it's hard for ones to understand that there's more than one right way and that um, in relationships it's vulnerable to expect something and then not have it met and then not know how to deal with the feelings that come with that. Uh, I expect as a two in relationships to give more than other people give back. Right or wrong, that's what my expectation is. So that puts the work on me. Nine in relationship, generally um, don't expect much and um, kind of erase themselves out of the scene if it doesn't go well. So be mindful that when you talk about two and nine in relationship, they're not in relationship the way you will be because your oneness doesn't change because you're leaning into one or the other of your two wings. You just have to go for it and um, realize that people don't see like you see. They don't uh, label, name, define integrity the way that you do. And relationship for them is a completely different thing than it than it is for you. And you have to offer grace and hang in there. Fantastic. Uh, all right, the next question is from Graham. Hey, y'all. Uh, my name's Graham. I'm a phobic six on the Enneagram, calling from Tacoma, Washington. Um, it's funny, as a six, I have tried to record this message like... Around 15 times, and so I'm just going to go for it because I need to stop overthinking. Um, I'm curious about space and the way that that shows up internally and externally. So externally, I tend to have really minimal spaces, really well organized spaces. I feel comfortable there, and I feel really uncomfortable in cluttered spaces. Um, my home is often like that because of my wife, and that's kind of how she does her thing. We have a seven-month-old, and he's that's his thing too. So I will find that in anxiety or stress, I will kind of aggro organize. I will get really aggressive about my organization, which doesn't go well. But I also realized recently that's kind of what happens internally. That if I have a structure to my day or what I think the future plans are going to be and something drops in, it blows everything up and it really stresses me out. So I'm curious about some of those connections for myself and, and my number, but also for other numbers. What's it like for other numbers who come from different perspectives, the way they orient spatially, internally, and externally. So uh, I'm prom- I'm just going to send you this because I'm not going to re-record again. Thank you all so much. <laughs> and uh, yeah, appreciate it. Oh, I don't know how many people have re-recorded uh-huh. uh, because there's, you know, it's like the old school voicemail yeah. where or it might be new school, whatever that you can, you know, press this if you're happy with yeah. it, press this yeah. button to re-record. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, Graham, I hope that my answer is worthy of 16 efforts at recording your question. Thank you for trying so hard to say what you wanted to say in the way that you were comfortable uh, with other people hearing it. And I am going to now try to answer it in several parts. 
First, I want to say that in terms of space and how it is kept and organized, ones are obviously the most likely to need the most order in most of their spaces, but generally, for ones, not all of their spaces. Minimal space um, has to do with so many things that are non-Enneagram that I don't feel comfortable trying to wade into the water. I, I think every number could be a minimalist and happy living in a smaller space if other things are met. And that's too big a thing for us to dive into at the moment. One of the things that happens with sixes, and it is more extreme in phobic sixes, is that you think you can do more in an amount of time than you can do. So you make a plan, and the plan doesn't fit the allotted time. And that's kind of a normal pattern for sixes, for phobic sixes particularly. So it's like you never get everything done. And when you perceive that you could have gotten it done, except that somebody else created a lack of order in your space, the space of time, the space geographically or physically, then there's a frustration that comes with that that is attached to, I could have done it if... I hadn't had to do this for the other person or this for somebody I work with. I could have done it if life hadn't happened in the midst of what I had planned. So I don't know if that's part of what you're talking about. It is a six thing. And what I encourage sixes to do in relationship to that is plan with extra space so that completion of things happens for you. The next thing I would say is that it's difficult for phobic sixes to trust themselves. And so it will be difficult for you to trust whether or not you're right or wrong in your frustration. Frustration doesn't have any moral value. How you deal with it and how you express it could have moral value. But it's okay that you're frustrated. Just be careful how you act on that. And so if you can narrow down what frustrates you and then bring up thinking and ask yourself if, that's, if those are reasonable reactions or responses, and if you find that they are, then you need to have a conversation with the people with whom you share space and share life and say, I am struggling with this. Is there a way that we can do things a little bit differently? So um, we don't have a six in our immediate family of six, but I can tell you that when my children were small, uh, we lived mostly in parsonages, and they generally weren't built for families of six. And so one of the ways that we managed our space was everybody had to pick up all their stuff every night before they went to bed. And that met everybody's needs. That meant you didn't have to pick up everything in real time, in the real moment. But it did mean that we started every day even. And I think you can figure out ways. You sound like you can very easily 
compromise, and connect. So I think you can figure out ways to find a compromise in order to get your needs met while trying to be respectful of and generous in relationship to other people's needs. In terms of other numbers, um, fives need a lot of time in relationship to space. Fives need a lot of privacy in relationship to their own space. Twos generally need space that they can share. Sevens need space that they can relax in. Sixes need space that they can um, control in a way. Eights need space that accommodates their energy and their way of being in the world. You know, if you think about the numbers, then you'll think that through and you'll know how you're different. It doesn't matter much unless those are the numbers of people that you share space with. You seemed a little hesitant on the sixes one. Would a possible better phrasing be sixes need space to feel safe in? Absolutely. And then everything that I've already said has to do with whether or not they feel safe. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. And the last thing I would say is we are in a really weird time when it comes to space because people have self-quarantined, have been quarantined. Putting on a mask automatically makes me feel like I don't have as much space. So we're in a very weird spatial time, which may be exacerbating your discomfort. Awesome. Thank you. All right. This next one is from Mia and I, I think it's just such a great question. I love when people call in and they are this vulnerable and and they have been, most of these have been, yeah, very have been that. Yep. Um, here we go. Hello, Suzanne. My name is Mia McDowell. Um, I'm an Episcopal priest um, in uh, South Carolina. And I have a question about, uh, I am an Enneagram two. I'm pretty sure I have a three wing. I have a question about relationships. Um, it's very difficult for me to find a relationship as a priest, a female priest. And I just am looking for some kind of answer about what type of Enneagram number works best with a two, and especially one who is in ministry. Um, I, I'm learned, I've done a lot of hard work about being over, overly helpful. And my second thing is, I am actually burnt out on caring for others. Um, I still do because it's, it's my responsibility, it's my job, it's what I'm called to do. But I am totally alone now in that my friends who've needed me through all the years no longer need me. And I'm not seeking more people to need me. I've noticed that I just, I don't want to care for people as much as I should or want to. So... Kind of two questions in one, but um, would love to hear an answer about that. And also, if there's anything out there you've done about twos in ministry or twos in relationships, um, that would be great. I am 51. I'll be 52 in November the 22nd. Thank you for all that you do, and I love your podcast. I love every all of your work. Thank you. Hi, Mia. I'm I'm having to reckon with how much I want to be helpful. As a two. <laughs> it's two. like, I, I can come and be your friend. Oh, two, two, two's leading twos. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to 
start with um, this, and it's not encouraging, but it's honest. For the most part, men and women who head churches in the role or the capacity of pastors are taken for granted, period. It, there just is an expectation that you're there to take care of everybody, and you are in some ways, and, um, and because it's expected of priests and clergy, it's n- not really all that appreciated. It's like, thanks for doing your job. Now, we're going to add another layer to that, and that is that um, twos deal with resentment when they're taken for granted. So what I'm telling you is your parishioners are going to take you for granted, and you're going to probably resent that as a two, and you resent it more than other numbers would because you're a two and you don't like to be taken for granted, and you have probably overgiven Now I want you to silo all of that, and I'm going to come back to it because Joel's going to remind me to come back to it. And over here, I want to talk about the fact that people lose sight of the fact that clergy persons and priests and pastors and rabbis are just people. And other people kind of feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to give you an example. My husband, Joe, is a Methodist pastor. And um, honestly, in the United Methodist Church, um, I would imagine that a high number of people drink socially. But when people are first getting to know us and they're thinking about they might want to invite us to dinner or they might want to invite us uh, to a party they're having, they always early in in knowing us, like kind of lean in and whisper, ah, do you, like I hope this isn't the wrong question to ask, but do do you drink socially? Like, do you drink? So I can tell you that the answer is, yeah, not very often and not very much, but yeah. And, um, then they feel a little more comfortable. And I think people are afraid that they're going to say or do an ungodly thing and that you're somehow closer to God than they are or that you behave better than they do or that you're a better person than they are. So in order to be in a relationship, you're going to have to accentuate your humanity. You're going to have to let people see things in you that you might not demonstrate during Mass. You're going to have to let them see the side of you that is uh, a little bit feisty. Um, You know, twos are feisty. You've got that in you. And you're going to have to hold back on your over-identification with your vocation, which I'm sure you do because you're a two and you're in a helping vocation. How do you, what tools or tricks do you have for that? You're in ministry, you're a two. How do you, and we 
show up some places now and they've got a bag of Cheetos and a bottle of tequila. Like, <laughs> I wasn't going to say the tequila part. <laughs> well, see, you got to be vulnerable. You got to, you know. Okay, Mia. So when people ask us if we drink socially, the reality is that Joe's Italian and he really loves good red wine. And I don't drink much. But when I do, I drink tequila. I don't like wine. I want to. Like, I like the glasses. I think it's all sexy and stuff, but I don't like wine. So, now that that's out in the world, um, (laughs) of course, I'm talking about that move from parishioners to us around social events as an example of a a discomfort that people have around clergy because they don't know you. And they don't know that you have a a different side, that you have a side that is uh, not not in opposition to the fact that you're a priest, but it's a part of you that you don't share as a priest. You know, people who are um, accountants don't talk about money all the time, and they don't want you to talk to them about money all the time. It's it's a, just an over-identification with twos in a helping profession and it's a misunderstanding from other people of what it's like to be a clergy person. We can't call the Reverend back up again right now because, you know, for multiple reasons. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Why are we, why is the goal to identify, and this is a little bit more Christian-y than normally get. Sure. To quickly try to identify with Jesus, with only the parts of Jesus that aren't, Jesus at weddings and Jesus. Right. right. What do you think that's about? Um, I like to think, oh my gosh, sorry. I've got to reference a movie. Okay. Talladega Nights when they're doing saying grace and they're talking about, and Will Ferrell keeps praying to little infant baby Jesus and uh, his father-in-law starts getting upset, you know, pray he was a man, he had a beard. And then uh, John C. Riley character, his character starts talking about, I like to picture Jesus wearing a tuxedo t-shirt at the front row of Leonard Skinner concert. Well, I like to picture my social Jesus. That's the one that, that I want to picture. And I, yeah, I think in the South, I don't know about other places um, as much. I'm learning, but I don't know it as much, but I think in the South, there is a, a prudishness, associated with being Christian that is dishonest. And Joe, my husband, the reverend, trying to tell everybody, pull everybody in here, says that Jesus came to show us how to be human, thus turning water into wine. Thus, uh, when the disciples say, We want to feed those people. Jesus says, feed them yourself. Those are all just humanity things. And if Jesus came to show us how to be human, then somewhere people got the idea in a, a, I think, misunderstanding of the Trinity that there is a perfection that is expected of Christians. And I don't think that's true. If so, we're all not meeting it. And I I think, Mia, one of the best ways for you to make friends is as a human who happens to be a priest instead of a priest who happens to be a woman. 
And if you do that work, I think you should say to your friends, I want you to to get to know who I am as a woman and as who I am, including being a priest, but certainly not limited to being a priest. And you'll have to set the table for that. People don't know how to say that to you. You have to say it to them. And then there's this. People can't carry your congregation in friendship with you or in a relationship with you. You have to do that. Your friend's job is to support you. It's your job to support the congregation. And friends can't sign up for that. Spouses can't sign up for that. It, it just doesn't work. And it's messy, and I love your question, and I'm going to think good thoughts about you. And anybody who gets to be friends with you is going to be lucky. All right. And then we've got one, we've got time for one final question here from Brooke. Hi there. My name is Brooke and I am a four with a big five wing. In the past six months, my mom and I have uh, done a deep dive and binged, I think almost all of your podcast and it has changed our lives. It has been like such a gift uh, to learn so much about ourselves and about everybody in the world around us, especially in this sort of uh, intense time that we're living in. My question is on uh, her behalf and it is, she is struggling to figure out if she is a five or a seven, which of course sounds super different, but because they share a line she has spent a lot of time in both of those numbers. So it's more of just a question of which one is kind of that dominant space that she's uh, like rooted in and then which one is the one that she's moving to. Um, and so as we've been like working through it and talking and thinking about it, we're curious, like what are the most important places to start and like maybe what's m- most paramount so should the most paramount question be about you know motivation and lost childhood messages or is starting with orientation to time and triad um more important and then it kind of like goes from there um i hope that question makes sense thank you so much for your help and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom let me say real quick before you give all the Enneagram Godmother wisdom. Whitney says that often if she didn't know any better, like she would think that I was a five. So I wanted to plug that, that that's not, it's not crazy, especially when as an introverted five, that kind of overlaps some with that introverted seven, Mm -hmm. that five energy or expectation. Mm -hmm. And then I just wanted to give my two cents in regards to orientation of time is very, very different for five and seven. However, the uh, lost childhood messages, I find that the one, five, and seven lost childhood messages I can identify with. So that might, that might be a tough place to start. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I don't think childhood messages is the place to start. Um, I will just acknowledge for everybody who's listening that um, Brooke's mom is either a five or a seven. And she's not sure which. And five goes to seven in stress, and seven goes to five in security. So that's the first place where you start. You start with, hmm, what is my core motivation? So 
the core motivation for both numbers is going to have some to do with fear because they're in the fear triad. And it's going to overlap too because they're both thinking dominant. But the thinking is very different for fives and for sevens. Sevens think very creatively and they think about the future and they think about what could be and they imagine how it will be and how great it will be. And fives um, think about all that's going to be involved in something and how much work it's going to take. And then they think about whether or not they know how to do the thing and then they look up how to do the thing and then they read about how to do something. So that's a place for you to start. Joel, what is the main difference between you and fives? You as a seven. What's the main difference in you and a five? And what Joel said, I'm going to let him think for a minute. What he said about whether or not you're introverted or extroverted is very important because Joel is an introverted seven, which means even though he's a seven, he needs a lot of time alone and he values and enjoys time alone. And that looks like five sometimes. It is not to refuel. It's to be alone. And fives need time alone to refuel, to get more energy, to rest and be ready to engage again. I think the two biggest differences are, one is the orientation to time. I'm always forward thinking, always living in the future. Tethered is your term, tethered to the future. And the fives that I know are tethered to the past and what has been done, what they have done, what the past in general. The other big piece for me is I think, and you can either say this is just wrong or explain it better than I will. I think we don't see fives as emotional. They are. They just keep it to themselves. And I don't have when someone, so if fives have feelings about their thoughts, I don't. I don't get offended when someone doesn't like my idea or thinks I'm wrong. Like I, I don't have emotions tied to what I think or do. My experience with fives has been that emotions are a big player and, or more importantly, can be a really big player. A real big player. And if you don't agree with what they think, it hurts their feelings. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't hurt my feelings. for. Yeah. You that. don't need anybody to agree with you. Yeah. The other thing that I think is a big difference is fives would prefer to be in conversation with people about some aspect of life that where they're an expert. I was going to say, I, I think fives require much more uh, preparedness yep. for everything yeah. than I as a seven do. Yeah, like a five would not be willing to be in your position right now, right this minute, the speaking off the cup. It would be, nope, no, thank you. When we invite people to be on the podcast, a little look behind the wall, uh, we all we do is shoot them a, no matter who it is, some celebrity or member of our community around here, whatever. And we just have our survey is, hey, what's your name? Enneagram number. How'd you figure it out? What's your, you know, some sort of history that you have with the Enneagram? Anything you want to talk about? Anything you don't want to talk about? Anything we left off? There's no prepared questions. There's right. no, 
we like it to be as organic as possible right. and just sit down and, you know, maybe we have one or two questions to lead off with or sure. that we do want to get answered, but not an agenda. The fives and the sixes are almost every single one to the person. What are we going to be talking about? Can I have the questions ahead of time? Mm-hmm. And sevens. And I just say as a seven, life doesn't give you the questions ahead of time, baby. You just got to show <laughs> up. Well, the reality is that sevens would find that to be terribly boring. It's like, I don't want to know the questions. And you don't want to just talk to people who are experts in the same thing that you're an expert at. And fives do. And that's because it feels like a safe way to share their thoughts. I, unfortunately, I don't think I've listened to a someone who's been on our podcast than they were on somebody else's podcast. Uh-huh. So we've had a couple of people that were authors and, uh-huh. you know, making mm-hmm. the rounds and uh, and they always send, just so you also know, uh, publishers and their handlers or media people. Oh, hey, here's a list of questions, yep. you know. Yep. And I, I don't, I've never even looked at it. No. And I'd be curious if on the, from a listener's perspective, if someone out there can write in and let us know, if they have listened to that, if it is better when they're like, oh, I heard the roll-offs on your podcast and then I heard them the next day on so-and-so's or Emily Freeman. That's, that's a good one. Emily yeah. Freeman, when she had her book out, we love Emily Freeman. Yeah. We didn't have her on cause she had a book coming out. Right. We had it her on cause she's Emily, Emily Freeman. Freeman. Uh, and just kind of the differences there, I guess. Reading people who are that number is helpful. Knox McCoy. I, and Knox McCoy. And five. I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Is and a- I know that I'm nothing like, like I am not. C.S. Lewis is a different Enneagram number than me, plain and simple. And he's awesome. And he is a five with a big four wing, which is how he has that gigantic imagination that he has. But, you know, in, in our tradition, we believe that you have one wing for the first half of life and you add the other wing in the second half of life. And so what happens is... C.S. Lewis does all this phenomenal writing with imagination. And you can see that six wing and, and how he addresses fear through most of his work. So that, that's, that would probably be the next step that would help you and your mom the most figure out what her number is. Read a five and read our friend Luke Norsworthy's Befriending Your Monsters because it's such a great book, and it's a seven book. And he has his own podcast, but he doesn't talk much, so you don't get a lot of his sevenness. And one last, we got to wrap up. One last, uh, not self-indulging, but there's this cool series called uh, 40 Days on Being A. Uh, it's the Anagram Daily Reflection series. And I would think that if you read, if she reads the 40 Days on Being a Five and the 40 Days on Being a Seven, I would identify much more with one of them and be challenged much more by one of them rather than them me having the same experience with both of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we are, we're to kind of final thoughts, final thoughts with Suzanne. I've got to start coming up with another ball in the air. Uh, some more like little, a uh, segment theme music, you know, a little, and now we're at the part of the show. Final thoughts with Suzanne. Well, usually I don't necessarily have a new thought for final thoughts, but I have a new thought, Joel. And my new thought is, you know how when I'm teaching Know know Your Number, or when I used to teach Know Your Number, and um, I would always say to people, think about when you were 20. 
I think that we probably right now need to say to people like our last question, I don't know if I'm a five or a seven, think about yourself before COVID. Because this time has changed subtypes. It's changed how we can behave in the world. It's changed a lot for us. If you were quarantined, self-quarantined, if you're going by whatever your the rules are in the area where you are, and it's been a scary time, and we're talking about two numbers in the fear triad. So um, I, I'm I'm wondering if that's not a thing, and then um, non-specific to today, final thoughts. I have spent months writing my new book and uh, editing it and getting it ready to be in the world. And I didn't read as much as I normally do for the last 18 to 24 months. And I'm reading again now because I have the space to do that. And I am such a big believer in reading. I can't. I just don't know how to talk about it enough to say that it changes everything for me to read. So my final thought is read, read, read. And if you say, eh, I'm not a reader, my response to that is everybody can read 10 pages a day. So start, just start. And there are a lot of books available on audio. And, you know, when you spend too much time alone with how you think, you begin to either be too high on yourself are too hard on yourself. So, read. I just got done reading Green Lights, yeah. Matthew McConaughey book. Yeah. That was a good one. One of the things that I have said that I want to do is get outside more. I was yeah. like, man, I, I'm inside all the time. Yeah. And except for like kids soccer games. And so getting outside more, but then I was like, what do I do when I get outside? So, reading McConaughey's book. Yeah. Kind of started helping with that. And then uh, I'm very excited to jump into, I bought two of Nick Offerman's books. Uh-huh. And God. there's an awful lot available that is really good reading. And right. I, and, and you know, you might want to read The Journey Toward Wholeness. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's here. <laughs> if, if you're looking for something to read and you can't choose where to start, Journey Toward Wholeness, Enneagram Daily Reflection Series. Uh, I thank y'all so much for joining us. Such Uh, a good day. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thanks.